Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and we're joined today by a special co-host, Morgan Harrell. Hey Morgan. Hey, how are you? Good. How, how are things in South Carolina? They are good. Uh, there is fall in the future. The acorns are falling. The leaves are turning. It's still, you know, 85, 90 degrees, but it's, it's coming. Yes, I can empathize with that here in Tennessee. I know a lot of our listeners in other parts of the country are like breaking out the sweaters and the scarves and we're not there yet, but soon. Yes. So our guest today is Lori Monday. Hey, Lori. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? I I am well. I'm excited to be talking with y'all today. And so, I don't know. I actually love this weather because I get to get out and go herping a little bit more. And it's a great time to see snakes traveling around. So, yeah, really good. Good. Herping. Yes. We're going to talk all things herping today. I'm really excited. I <laughs> hope that there's a lot of people listening who are like herping. What? Because um, we're going to dive into that. Yes. So, Lori, you're in Arkansas. What's the weather there now? I want to say it is similar to what y'all just described. It's about 87 degrees, uh, cool breeze, leaves are falling. Uh, today, clear skies. We had some storms recently, but it's a beautiful day. So nice. Great time to well, get outside. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. We're going to start off by asking you to tell us about your freezer. What do you have in there? So I have a 16, 17, 18-year-old, and there's two freezers. So they go to the regular freezer where there's, you know, a lot of meat, sausages, um, chicken. There's probably teenage food in there as well. Uh, we do the last year I harvested my very first deer. And so one of their favorite things is, uh, like steak meat, venison to make, um, authentic tacos cause I'm of Mexican background. And then, uh, something we call cowboy sausage, which a lady showed me how to make. And it's really good from the venison and the other freezer. I also keep some extra food for the kids, but I also have a bunch of frozen mice <laughs> that Ooh. I use to, yes, different size mice. I have a man who breeds them for me, but we use the mice to feed the education snakes. Uh, when I have a snake that maybe I have found or um, that maybe someone has run over or something, I might collect that and then I freeze it so I can show people so my freezer is is actually pretty interesting. There's a lot of dead animals <laughs> in there. Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay, so I would like to dive in, and I'm sure Morgan has something to say <laughs> about this too. To I want to back up to the authentic taco meat. Um, yeah. My husband and I are we love tacos and unfortunately have very little knowledge about the authenticity of this food. But the one thing we do do is we almost never use ground. Um, we usually Yay. use, yeah, like steaks or actual meat that will cook and then either shred or a, a lot of times cut up thin and then um, like braise to try to crisp it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is that, 
just tell me about tacos. What should we be doing? Okay, so authentic tacos, if you're using venison or ground beef, you season the meat first, and then you take a corn tortilla and you pat it in the raw corn tortilla, and then you fry it inside of it. So it's what? actually all, it's all cooked together. Um, and I actually did a video, and I believe it's on YouTube, of creating those out of venison, ground venison, and making tacos. Super easy with an outdoor cooking stove because you save the mess of your oven and your stove. Uh, and then the other authentic part is uh, using corn tortillas again, but using how you and your husband do just like maybe your steak pieces or, or you know, actual steak, and then adding a little bit of lime and cilantro, and it just gives it the perfect taste uh, to it. So we don't use a lot of the cheeses and the sour cream and stuff like that. Oh, that sounds so good. We also really like to put, um, we pickle red onion with a little bit of lime or lemon and we put that on there too. It's so delicious. Yes. That's probably not authentic, but, <laughs> but it's tasty. It sounds good though. It's authentic <laughs> to someone. Yeah. Well, Lori, we'll have to, we'll link in the show notes um, if you can dig up that YouTube video, because I'm sure there's people that'd be interested in it. I will. It's a whole segment start to finish and uh, with really good outcome. It, it's delicious. Well, Morgan is, a, in my eyes, she is a wild game culinary wizard. <laughs> Every, anytime she talks about what she's cooking, I'm like, I need to go over to your house for dinner. So I'm sure she has something to add here. I know. That sounds so good. I We do. Um, it makes me want to uh, experiment more um, with, with taco. I mean, they're just, to me, Tacos are the, the the tool in which I take the meat and put it to my mouth. So whatever I'm cooking, whether it's hog or, or venison or fish, um, I'm always grabbing a taco in itself to kind of to, to, to get it to my mouth with all the different things. But I love, like you say, uh, Ashley, the pickled onions and the cilantro and the lemon or lime yeah. juice rather um, yeah. that had such flavor to it. One but addition to Morgan might be uh, goose meat tacos. So like Canada geese, uh, they make for really good taco meat. So we don't still that. have, um, it's funny you say that, and Ashley knows this, I still have a freezer full of snow geese. Um, and I've only been making pastrami out of them, um, but I am interested to try to do something else. But, but that might be a fun thing to try. Maybe I can link a re I have a recipe for the goose tacos and I can link that or send it to y'all. That would be great. Yes, let's link to that for sure. We just discovered a way to eat Canada goose that we really like, which involves brining. Um, is either that or a pressure cooker to get them to where we wanted to eat them. So I'm, I'm all ears when it comes to new, new ways to try a goose. All Sorry. kinds of fun uh, recipes that are out there to do things with. I mean, and, and, and so, but birds, I think, you know, too, like, and I was, when I was researching what to do with our snow geese, we killed them in Arkansas in February. And so, and it was right after the, um, the snowstorm that went through Arkansas and through um, Texas and all that, Louisiana. And so they were pretty thin. They did not have a lot of fat on them. And, and, I've, and their, the preparation, I think, does change if you were to go up and get, you know, some geese in Canada during the certain season when they are just full of, full of that delicious fat. Um, so I've heard too that recipes change based on on the birds and where where and when. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm still delving into a lot of the cooking. So I'm always looking for new ways to cook things. I personally would love to see uh, a game air frying cook cooking segment. Oh my <laughs> so gosh, yes. <laughs> so love the air fryer. Lori, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? And I'll nudge you here and say herping. <laughs> okay, well... I, I do work for Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Uh, I have, you know, I always mention my children. They are everything about me. And so uh, kind of how I came about working for Game and Fish was really just trying to raise my kids. So I went to a lot of schooling. And when I first, when I got my first degree, I thought I wanted to be an English teacher. And then I decided to go to nursing school and when I started working at the hospital, I realized that it wasn't for me or I wasn't for that job. And so then I went back and got a biology degree. Uh, and meanwhile, I just felt like I could continue to raise my kids. And then chemistry degree, and I was doing some soil toxicology work and every day was the same. And so someone asked me if I wanted to go herping. Uh, now, I had been born in Arizona, grew up in New York, and I thought maybe someone was punking me when they asked me that. But I was like, what is herping? And they said, you just go out exploring. So I went with a fisheries group to, I believe it was the Saline River, but we went herping. And I remember being really scared and I caught my first speckled king snake. And I, as I held it, my body was shaking and they were like, it's not going to hurt you. And I thought it was just going to, you know, the things I hear all the time, it's going to bite me. It's going to kill me. Yeah. And it was the most beautiful, gentle thing. And I said, I am totally a herpetologist. <sighs> and so... I finished my chemistry degree and then went back for another degree at UCA. That's where I got my master's with a focus in herpetology. Um, and so I worked with the game and fish state herpetologist, Kelly Irwin, and I would just go out and educate about snakes for, you know, on my own time as a grad student. And he said, you know, I have the perfect job for you with Arkansas Game and Fish Commission as an educator, just teaching people, you can actually do this and get paid for it. And uh, so I took the chance to apply and then got the job. Uh, and then I was scared because I still had to write my thesis. And so, but anyways, that's, that's kind of how I ended up doing what I do. So with Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, I'm a regional educator. And so I I kind of, I have seven counties to myself. So it's one person in our state to go out and educate the public on everything uh, outdoors. So that could be fishing, hunting, archery, in the schools, teachers. And actually our state is really lucky to have that opportunity because from some of my research, I found out there's a lot of states that don't pay people to go out and educate. So you got that right. I can't. Oh my gosh. If I could have had an archery program in school, that would have been amazing. Yes. So 
that's, I guess, a little bit about me. That's amazing. You're obviously uh, not a quitter. Uh, I for sure want to say I'm not a quitter. Uh, you know, I raised my kids alone. And part of that was difficult because I'm like, man, when I look back, it took a lot of time to get through the degrees raising the kids. But then at the same time, I, I wanted them to know that they could still have children and get a degree, you know? And so that's yeah. probably one thing I think about. And then the other thing would be when I first started with Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, the public expects you to know everything, hunting and fishing. Mm. And I'm an adult onset hunter, an adult onset fisher. I'm a female. I'm from New York. I look a little bit different, you know, and so I just refuse to give up, you know, and I am very passionate on that conservation side. And so it took a lot of work to learn some of the, some of the things that we have to go around and teach. Wow. Yeah. Can you, can you talk more about the, like, it sounds like your professional and personal journey into hunting kind of paralleled one another or maybe fueled each other. How did that, how did that play out? Yeah, I, for sure. I, I guess that's, that's actually exactly correct. Uh, I knew kind of as an adult, you know, I was raised, we did fish every once in a while. We did not hunt. Um, so starting with game and fish, it was something I really needed to learn, but I did love the outdoors. Um, and so I had to learn topics. Oh, how to deer hunt. But that's really a lot different than going deer hunting. And so uh, my journey there would have been, I had to find mentors, you know, and a lot of times I have a, a friend of mine and we say we kind of suffer for the rest of the women. <laughs> so for instance, I never knew what it was like to be part of a deer lease. And so I went and signed up for one a year ago and it was a lot. It was way more than I expected. And a year later, I'm like, man, I went through all these trials, but at the very least I can pass those on to other people. So maybe they can avoid some of them. Uh, but at this point, I remember my boss said one day, Hey, Lori, go get in with those bow hunters. <laughs> small, I, small, small task. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. And so I'll tell you just a really short story. Uh, I called one of the chapter presidents here in central Arkansas. And I said, my name's Lori Monday. I really would love to attend one of your events and get to know y'all's group and uh, be part of it, you know, and represent game and fish. And they said, okay, we have our next shoot at the SUA. It's hosted by the CAB and the R100. So you can come out anytime. And I said, I, I actually don't know what you just said. I have, I have no idea what you just said to me. And his response was, do you even work for the Game and Fish Commission? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so we set this up. I called my boss and I said, don't you ever <laughs> make me call these people again without a little background. But I was determined. And so uh, I went, I met with them. 
it actually turned out great. The archery community is really wonderful as a whole. I can't say enough about people who go out and shoot archery. Um, but it took about two years of getting to know people, getting to know equipment, going through it myself, teaching others, you know, and connecting. And now I would say archery is a big part of my life. I teach it, but I also shoot. So sometimes it's really difficult for me to say, am I working or am I just like my life is being a mentor sometimes, you know, you still have the people who you teach calling you on your off time. So it's really hard to draw a line of, of where that kind of work home life is, especially if you love it. And you guys know this, if that's your passion, it doesn't just turn off at five o'clock in the evening, you know? That's very true. That's a good way of saying that. It doesn't. And it's exciting. You get so much out of it. You're giving of yourself, but yet you get something as well. You know, it's really, it really, you can see the difference being made. Totally agree. So I want to, I want to circle back to a very, I feel like a very Southern thing, Lori, that you mentioned being a part of a deer lease. This is something coming from the the great white North. I didn't know anything about deer leases. And for my graduate work landed smack dab in the middle of about 50 of them. So can you tell our listeners what a deer lease is and what it entails? Yeah. So especially in, I'm not sure of the statistics in other States, but in Arkansas, over 95% of our land is privately owned, uh, which, you know, makes it difficult for people to go out and hunt. We do have public land places, but sometimes those don't have, you know, the same opportunities as private land. And so people will get together and lease land, especially from like timber companies on their off season and they lease it for a certain amount of money and they use it for hunting, you know? Um, And so that's what a lease is. So when I really dove into that, one of the first things was learning how expensive a lease can be to be a part of. So you can have anywhere from, you know, six members to 19 members and you have to pay this timber company a certain amount of money. So uh, a membership can be anywhere from 300 a year to, you know, I want to say thousands and thousands. It really just depends on who's leasing you that land and what you're hunting. Um, so the first part was the money that I ran into that I needed to come up with. Um, and then next, you all go into this lease. There's a lot of rules where you can hunt, how many stands you can have, uh, where you place them, when you can go out. Well, then you have to buy a stand, right? So do you have a stand? Um, And those can be several hundred dollars. Uh, My lease is up in Leslie, which is in the kind of Washita's in the mountainous area. Uh, So then I realized, oh, well, I need an ATV, but I needed a truck and a trailer to get the ATV there. And then I needed a camper to stay there. And so it's really a lot of work, especially for a single female to come up with all of these things um, to be successful. Uh, I I think one of the biggest things was, okay, I bought the camper, but then I needed a generator to run the camper. And so I realized I was just going, it's it's a huge investment. 
you know, to kind of be a part of, of that kind of hunting, you know, strategy to be a part of a lease. Well, yeah. I have a question. How is your, um, I grew up going to a hunt club and it was a lease land. It was actually next to, um, I think it was either next to the National Forest or Forest Service land. Um, but, but, the, but there was a hunting club. And so that one had been along for a, a long time and there was kind of that community. Did you find that in your, in your lease that the, the hunters would get together and just kind of build a community and share some resources and share knowledge and, and, and share in the, in, in, the, in the fun of it all? Yes, for sure. So once, once you go through that first initial struggle, you know, uh, you have help getting your camper there. You have help getting it set up. A lot of times you have a cook shack or a community tent where everyone gets together in the evening and plans their meals. Uh, you know, when someone's going out, you know, so everyone keeps an eye out for the other hunters, you know, if first, if they didn't come back, a lot of them will help each other uh, debone or skin the animal, you know, so it really does become a community. And it's, it's, it's not just during the hunting season, it's in your off season as well, because you spend so much time with these people. So I want to say, especially for friends and for family, you have that. The one thing that I noticed for me was everyone was very welcoming, but there is also this um, line because I'm a single female and a lot of these people are married men. Maybe their wives aren't there, their families aren't there. And so there is this sense of trying to be very appropriate, you know what I mean? And does that make sense? Like being respectful of those things. So it does, yeah. Absolutely. I love the way that you said that, that there's a line. I think I, I think this is something that we don't talk about frequently in like as part of being women that hunt is that, you know, it's it's amazing to get to hunt with other women, but the reality is that 90% of hunters in the United States are male. So a lot of times you're going to find yourself in the field and it, it it's not always your dad or your significant other, you know, and so there's some etiquette there. There is some etiquette. It, it probably would be a good podcast, but, uh, and I think it's not just on the men's part, it's on the female's part as well, you know, and so it takes just communication, professionalism, but I will say that we, in my hunting club, we have kept it at that and they call me up. I call them up. Hey, I don't know what to use to seal this camper. And so it's actually become a very positive experience. It's almost like hunting itself. You know, you go through all of this and the anticipation, but I have learned last year, I couldn't seal a camper this year. I can, you know, so, um, Heck yeah. Camper skills. Yeah. So that's awesome. So one of the things we've talked about herping, um, could, what, what actually, what actually is herping? What is, where does the term herp come from? I don't know. I just, I hear the word herp and I see like these beating heart emojis in my mind, you know, <laughs> just the love of herping for me. So I always start out, herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians. Uh, herps are reptiles and amphibians. 
if you're teaching that it always is you hear the snickering in the background like you don't hear the jokes I always say herps is spelled with one e you know not with two e's but people have their jokes about that and then I'm like okay so herps are reptiles and amphibians herping is going out and looking for them um what I love about herping is just based on their life strategies you're generally going to be going out when the sun is going down or when the sun is coming up. And so it's going to be when it's dark. And so you want your headlamp, but it's, you know, people don't realize, especially if there's a fear, some people think when you go out looking for snakes, the sun goes down, you walk outside and snakes are everywhere. You know, like you just walk down the trail and they're all coming out to attack. <laughs> snake but, city. <laughs> Herping is actually Isn't that a movie. Yeah, I, I think so. Probably. <laughs> you know, I'll a really bad movie that's not accurate. It like, is. like most of them with snakes. But I'll take people herping and I say, look, first of all, it's very hard work. It's hard on your body because uh, you're out exploring and and you have to look under rocks. You're always bending over. You're looking down, which puts some pressure on your neck you know, um, but they're not just everywhere. So you might spend three hours herping and maybe find five or six reptiles or amphibians, you know, which is a really good night. Um, but it's also an exploration of the outdoors and life, I like to say. So when I go herping, I point out the shiny eyes of spiders, um, which by the way, I cannot stand to walk into a spider web. Like it, gives me chills, but, you know, I should point out spider eyes. We have um, flying squirrels in Arkansas. You can hear the owls. Uh, you can hear the frogs croaking. I'm trying to think of what else. You'll see your armadillos and possums out, lots of salamanders. So it's just crayfish, you know what I mean? So you find all kinds of things. And I love to point out all of those things. So to me, that's what herping is. So this that sounds like so much fun. It does. But when I was little, and there's there's a piece of paper somewhere in my attic from when I was, you know, maybe five or six in kindergarten. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I spelled out herpetologist. Like that was I, I, my career. My my life has not ended anywhere close to that, or not ended, but then not ended up anywhere close to that. But I, I love that. And the idea of, I mean, that's what we did growing up. I mean, we, we, we herped on a daily basis. Um, my, I was, it was funny, you were talking about education. My mom would, did something in South Carolina called Project Wild, where they took animals into the school system. And we, because of that, we always had snakes, usually an owl, usually a, a possum at the house. And I wondered if your house was like that, full of animals wandering around at any given time. How do you say that? So one of our biggest programs is Project Wild for Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Okay, there you go. My job is to connect all of the programs, whether it's fishing, hunting, Project Wild. Um, and then having a degree, um, it gives me the permissions to have those. So I do have, I have six snakes, an alligator, a turtle, frogs, that I keep at my house because I travel. So I keep them in, in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, the 
the, the Seinfeld episode where Jerry goes on a date with the woman who has all the frogs and like eats flies. Just Lori, <laughs> <laughs> Lori is a you are a very beautiful woman, and that's why this is even funnier to me because I feel like uh, that's so not you, but that's the image that just came to mind. So sorry. Well, my kids always go, and you're always wondering why you're single. That is, but, that is intimidating. Do you have, you know, I bet you have a collection of um, owl pellets somewhere in your freezer as well. Yes, owl oh, pellets, yeah. dissections. I have this opossum hand that I found the skeleton and I was like, I can use this to teach someone. Or, you know, I have a diamondback rattlesnake replicas, you know, so I have the, and then if they go in my freezer, there's dead animals. So it's like, <laughs> The house is so weird, but to me, it's normal. So if I were to tell one of my friends, hey, I got to call you back. My alligator's trying to eat my turtle. That's a normal conversation in my house, <laughs> you know? So uh, growing up, the kids, they they liked it. Now it, they're, they're just so used to it. They kind of take it for granted unless one of their friends comes over. Then they're like, oh yeah, we have an alligator, you know? But to me, that's normal. Uh, Arkansas is actually really blessed. We have Raptor Rehab of Central Arkansas. And so I was able to train with Raptor Rehab with bald eagles and vultures and owls. And so I handle those as well. So I would I would say my kids had a very similar raising as you did. Yes, I I can relate. I can um, I remember coming. We my mom was a biology teacher uh, later on, and she had um, what are they the uh, the giant hissing cockroaches that she ordered, yes. and they just sat on the kitchen counter, and I didn't think anything of it. I mean, they were interesting, but my friends would come over and be absolutely horrified by these giant cockroaches that just lived there. And it was just science stuff. It was interesting. She was doing a mating study on fruit flies one time. And so she had fruit flies flying around and she had to bring them home on the weekends to feed them. I mean, but that type of stuff, I think about, it made my childhood so much richer. Um, and, it, and it's made me appreciate all those things so much more. So I'm sure your kids are better for it. I hope so. I think probably what they don't like the most is when I have to thaw the mice. So the chickens thawing in one side of the sink and the mice are thawing in the other side of yeah. the sink. <laughs> you were but, talking about the mice in your freezer earlier. I had some friends over a few weeks ago and they reached in the freezer to grab some ice and they were trying to get like one of those specialty big um, ice cubes like for bourbon or something. And they reached in next to it and they pulled out this little pink plastic bag that said gourmet rodent. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. The baby mice. Yes. And I had, I, I had caught a snake in our yard and was going to keep it for my nephew. Um, but it, so I bought some mice for it and it didn't like him. So I ended up letting him go because he wouldn't eat. But I just kept those in the freezer just, just for that effect. And my, my friend Ellen was not happy about the, the rodent next to her ice cube. But I said, this is what <laughs> happens in my house. This is what you get. It's completely normal, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of hope I hope that my kids later on will have the same feeling that you do now, but that, I think the, the, those memories that you just talked about, I never had. And that is exactly why I love doing what I do because there are probably more so more often than not, I will meet a child that has never seen a salamander 
or never turned over a rock or never touched a worm, you know, things that was, Mm -hmm. it was just normal for us to do that. And now it's not, you know, and so that's I wonder, actually. I, I have a, talk about kids not seeing things. I have a, um, a, a kind of pet peeve of like people that are scared of the snake um, or spider or something, but particularly snakes because I love them so much that I was like, have you ever touched one? And and you start asking questions. It's They're scared of them because their parents are scared of them. Mm-hmm. They're scared of them and because you're supposed to be scared of snakes. Um, just like kids aren't supposed to like broccoli. So they don't like broccoli. Um, and, and I always think that's such a, I'm, I'm not a parent, so I don't know the right way to do it necessarily, but, um, I think that I always try to say, well, let's, let's talk about what they are. They're not slimy. And, and there's all these myths. I'm sure you come across those type of things. And, and even in, in a rural community, I'm sure you come across them as well. Yeah. Well, for sure. I want to say even more so in a rural community. And here's why, you know, biblically snakes, do not have the best reputation mm-hmm. uh, so that takes part and then I think it's it's negative the use of negative language with our kids and so it's something that I try to implement but rather than saying don't touch that it will hurt you you know then you use some sort of positive language with a child um, why might you want to be careful what do you see about it you know what I mean and so there's different ways instead of saying, no, don't do that, you know, of using positive reinforcement or something like that. Um, But snakes for sure, that's what they've been taught. It's gonna kill you. They tell the kids, the kids have been raised knowing this before a kid has ever seen it, it's in them to be scared, you know? Um, Generally, so when I first started teaching about snakes, you, you know, you walk into a group and they either love you or they hate you. You know, mm-hmm. it's a love, it, there's really not a lot of in between. Um, and so I learned that I really had to connect with the person to create the effect. You know, people go see snake programs because it's cool and it's entertaining, but that's not really what we want to get across, you know? So I might be like, hey, finish my sentence. The only good snake is what? What do we hear it's, all? The- yeah, most of the time they're going to say a dead snake because that's a what their grandparents, snake. that's what their parents have said, sure. Right. And so that's where I kind of use the connection of if you like food or money, you should like snakes because, you know, then you go into mice and you really have to tell them the effect that it's going to have on them. You have to make them feel it, you know, and so that's kind of my approach for snakes. But I think that for, I think for kids with parents, why not, if it's raining, why not go outside? You know, if it's Mm -hmm. cold, why not go outside? If there's a salamander, why not look at it and, you know, have them describe it, have them, you know, so things like that. I think that's the best thing that we can do. Lori, I'm supporting that. I'm sorry, Ashley, go ahead. I, Lori, before when you were talking about going herping and how you normally need to go early in the morning or late, like when it's dark out, times when typically people aren't outside or if they are, they're going from the house to the car or they're sitting around a campfire. And Mm -hmm. that hearing you talk about all the things you see reminds me of 
being outside doing field work for, I've worked as a wildlife technician on a, a number of different research projects. And often it led me to be outside in the woods or some other place far away from, you know, houses or town at weird times, like at night. And the things I saw, like when you go to bed at night, the rest of the world doesn't. There's there's so many things that are happening out there that I just, it's something so special to be out in the middle of all that and experience it. And I think that, I don't know, I would encourage people to get out, whether it's herping or whatever, get out with a headlamp in a place you wouldn't normally go. I mean, do it safely, obviously, but you can see a whole different part of the world that way in your yeah. backyard. And it's crazy to think how many things we miss every day. So you, whether it's at night or during the day, I do this thing where I will have a group walk maybe a hundred yards. We're walking, we're talking, we're hanging out. But then I'm like, okay, now everyone be quiet. Spend 15 seconds looking around and just point to things you hear or see, you know? And then I'm like, you just missed all of this life. You know, it's amazing that we don't see these things. I love to go outside in my backyard at night because I just can't believe, I mean, there's insects, birds, frogs. I mean, it's an amazing world, you know? Um, and I encourage people. So I try not to call them. Sometimes I'll call them herping trips. Some, sometimes they're just night walks. But when somebody experiences that, they really grasp like how much stuff is out there. Um, there's a story, I had a lady who was super scared of snakes. Unfortunately, if you have a phobia, um, those are hard to beat, right? But she was really scared. She took one of my snake, or she sent, she heard about me with snakes and she sent me a picture of a ribbon snake. Now y'all know how small kind of, a small ribbon snake might look. Uh -huh. She had. Can you, can you describe it for our listeners, Lori? Um, I want to say that this this snake. I'm sorry, it was a ring neck snake. So it's probably going to be four to six inches, um, thinner than a pencil, uh, dark in color, really bright reddish orange belly, and it has a beautiful like orange collar around its neck. Its mouth probably couldn't really even bite into you because, you know, it's so small. And um, she had sent me a picture of this snake. She had chopped its head off and it was in her bathroom. And she didn't, you know, so a friend sent it for her. And I said, what happened to this poor snake? Here's what it does. It eats worms. It's a great snake to have in your garden. It gets rid of your pets. I can't, you know, me, I'm like having a fit what happened to it? So the friend is not, is relaying this information to the lady who killed it. And then the friend is like in between and she goes, she goes, yeah, I know why you killed it. She's not telling me that she's saying that. But then the other lady goes, well, does Lori know it was in my bathroom? It was where it wasn't supposed to be. It was this big ordeal. Anyways, she came and took one of my snake classes. We went herping. Uh, and a year later, she sent me a picture of a ringneck snake that she was shoveling up to relocate out of her garage to her front yard. And really all it took was just like 
some eye-opening, you know what I mean? Some experience, some learning about it, and it really helped. And so I always think about that. And that's kind of what we do, why we do what we do, you know? So she went one year from killing snakes to the next year, she's trying to relocate them. She's still using a shovel, but at least, <laughs> at least she didn't kill it. <laughs> oh, that's that sounds incredibly rewarding. I mean, that's concrete proof that what you're doing is working right there. That's a great story. Lori, can you tell us about one of your favorite moments in the field hunting? I thought about this. Uh, I want to tell you two of them. Go for it. So my first time bow hunting, one of my best friends took me. She had hunted her whole life. And I felt like an expert because I was shooting a bow, you know, I'm like I can I can do this. Uh, so we went to Moralton area and I pulled up to this field. She had the ATV and I'm like, oh, we're really doing this. Like to, to me, I felt like I was really outdoors. Uh, so she pulls the ATV into the field. We start this big bonfire. It's just the two of us. The sun goes down and, uh, you know, I call her country because she's shown me all these things that Arkansas people do. And I just thought it was funny. But uh, we camped that night and I was kind of nervous. And then the next morning I was trying to get ready and I didn't know how to put the broadhead on. So I knew how to use my bow, but I didn't know how to attach the broadhead. And then I think I dropped the little piece that locks it in place. And then she said, okay, get your stuff together. And I was like, okay, I need my gloves and my mask, you know, all the, all the get up. So it's taking me forever. She's standing there like, are we going to go? <laughs> so then I finally, am like, okay, I'm ready. And she goes, okay, we're going to walk in real quiet to the stand. Well, here I am used to herping. I'm just tromping through the field. And she's like, we're never going to get a deer Lori at this pace. So she finally gets me to the stand and I go to head up and I drop my phone from, the, it's a climber and I drop my phone from the deer stand. So we're sitting there laughing. She gets me my phone and uh, on a climbing stand, which I was not familiar with, I get up to the stand and I sit down, you know, cause I was a little nervous and she starts laughing. She goes, Lori, why are you sitting on the foot rest? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I thought this was the seat. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes, no, you got to stand up and, and pull this seat down. So I was just like, oh man, thank goodness for friends as mentors, you know, because had I been in a big group. Anyways, I finally sit on the seat and I feel like I'm doing good. I'm getting there. And as soon as the sun starts going up, uh, you can see deer, a good buck in the field. But I could not quit moving because I was like, how do I pull my bow back? Anyways, I ruined the whole hunt. Oh, no. And all I heard was that from the deer, you know. Oh, you got blown at. Yeah. Those things are evil. And they yes. do it like, and they do it for longer than they need to. They're yes. very, uh, they get way too excited. It's they so are rude. Yes. Okay. Well, I said, did you hear the deer talking to me, Morgan? And she was like, Lori, no, the deer was on to you. You kept moving. <laughs> I was like, oh, but to this day, 
that, you know, the memory is not that I ruined the hunt. The memory was just the entire experience. Like that was a moment that Morgan and I will share forever. Um, it's one of my favorite memories. We didn't harvest anything, but I don't know. It was it's like hunting is such a friend maker. You know what I mean? It's such a memory maker outside of harvesting an animal. So that's probably one of my favorite memories of hunting. Um, I had another one, but I just got so into this conversation about my first bow hunting experience that I don't remember. <laughs> that was an excellent story. Just take a minute and think of the other one, because if it's as good as that one, I'm going to hear it. Uh, I don't know. There's probably too many. Okay. Two more stories only because we have time. I just came up with it. Uh, the first deer I ever harvested, it was because I had taken my kids. I wanted to take my kids hunting. I wanted to pass on what I was learning. So we went on duck hunt, squirrel, uh, deer. My kids harvested deer way before I did, uh, raccoons. Uh, so we always hunted and ate everything. Uh, raccoon I will not hunt again because that is, was hard for me to digest to be honest but uh, so anyways I take my son out to the lease you know it was last year and I wanted him to to harvest a deer he has uh, autism and uh, he's 17 and I just want to add one thing I will tell you about this lease how we talked about creating a community um, is that at our last annual meeting, they created a bylaw for Gabriel to be a lifetime member, even if he was an adult, that he would not have to pay a membership fee that he could hunt. So, oh my gosh, that's amazing. What a gift. That's wonderful. Yeah, that meant a lot to me. But, anyways, we go out there and Gabriel's ready. So, he growing up, if we were going to a rodeo, he was a cowboy. If we were going to WWE, he was a wrestler. Do you know what I mean? If it was basketball day at school, he was in the getup no matter what. So going out hunting, he was ready. He had to have his camo, everything. He's ready to go. We get up early. We go to sit in this stand and um, he's just shaking. I'm like, Gabe, you got to calm down. He go, mom, when are the deer coming? I'm like, <laughs> I've asked that question many times. I'm like, Gabriel, they're not going to come if, if, if we keep doing this. Okay. So is it almost time? Well, it was, but you just keep on talking, buddy. Right. So like we just go three hours and I gave him credit. He went three hours and he was so upset, but I said, Gabriel, I think we're going to have to really um, focus on patience before we're going to be able to get a deer. He goes, okay, we'll just go turkey hunting next. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure your sport is not turkey. It might be like dove or something, you know. But uh, so anyways, we decided we were going to go back to camp. He had just had enough. We weren't going to hang in there. On the way back to camp, we're still on our lease. Um, a doe walks out in front of us. And she was like saying, get me, get me. Now, mind you... I had never harvested a deer. So he was like, mom, it's your chance. It's your chance. And he cheered me on. And that's how I harvested my first deer, even though we were trying to get him a deer. Anyways, it was, I guess that was probably my most special moment um, because the adrenaline of it 
I thought I would hear the gun ring, but I, I didn't hear it. She fell. And when I walked up to her, uh, you really do have this appreciation of life, you know? So I felt like I petted her. Um, and I had just such an appreciation for this gorgeous animal and for what we were doing. Gabriel and I had talked about that a lot because he cried when he first killed his deer. So we prayed about it. And so I felt like I had those same feelings and he was a little jealous, but then he was also like, but I'm really happy you got your first deer mom, you know? And so, Oh, that's so sweet. Um, now when we took that deer, so I called the guys at the lease cause remember I don't have an ATV or anything. So they come and get me. Everyone meets me at the skinning rack. And I said, all right, guys, you can tell me how to do it but you cannot touch my deer because this is going down by me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Lori is doing this. So they thought it was funny, but I ended up skinning that deer on my own, deboning it on my own at camp. I processed it on my own and then I took it home and my brother and I made all of our deer sausage, all the fajita meat, everything. And we ate that all year long. And that's probably the most special moment to me. But I will tell you, after all of that work, I thought really hard about the next deer I killed because I was like, that was a lot of work. Do I really want this one? You know, so. Heck yeah, that's a that's always a question. I was hunting squirrels in the yard the other day and I thought the same thing. I was like, do I really have five minutes to clean out a squirrel? Yeah. That's good. For the quantity of meat, that's what we always talk about, like, why people don't or you know primitive people maybe didn't do as much small cane because it was not enough that was the calories were were uh not worth it the calories expended were not worth it because you didn't get a lot of food from it yeah i guess i could see that i don't have to expend a lot of calories for my squirrels though yeah uh, but okay. the experience of hunting in your front yard was worth a lot that was pretty neat <laughs> i'm sure you had your neighbors kind of freaked out yeah yeah okay I guess we, that does make sense, though, like to hunt small game, you know, but yeah, still fun. Definitely. Oh, it's worth it. It's always worth it. We're going to take a quick break to hear from the NWF Outdoors podcast. We'll be right back. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Welcome back. All right, we are going to do our hits and misses. Um, Lori, this is our weekly closer. So we go around and find out what people have been aiming for and how, how it's gone. So we'll start off with Morgan. Morgan, what have you been aiming for? Um, let's see. I, this weekend, I attended the Women's Outdoor t- Retreat, um, which is put on in our state by the South Carolina, South Carolina Wildlife Federation. And I'd never been before. I'd heard good things. Um, and I was actually asked to teach a class um, by my fellow ambassador, um, Bibi Harrison. And so I taught a class on before and after the hunt. 
Um, because it was the first time I only had five people in the class, but I had a great time and I feel like we're able to really do do what the, the intent of the retreat was, which was to, to get more women in the outdoors, but really to further the art, art what we were doing at Artemis as well. Um, there was some women there that have hunted before and they were excited about finding a community. Um, and, and there were some that were looking for a community so they could, so they could kind of step into the, into the hunting and fishing world and uh, made a lot of good connections. And I think, um, you know, spread the good word as we say, um, and hopefully got some more interest in what we're doing down here and around the country. Awesome. And I failed to mention that, well, Morgan, of course, is uh, one of our wonderful ambassadors in South Carolina, and Lori is one of our wonderful ambassadors in Arkansas. Um, I feel like I should mention that at the top of these podcasts and almost never do. But uh, Lori, what have you been aiming for? Well, if you don't mind, I'm curious for Morgan. I had a question. So when you taught this before and after the hunt, was it a particular game species you were teaching or what were y'all focused on well so this, I kind of made up this um I'm, I'm, a, I'm a generalist I wouldn't consider myself an expert in any one thing I love to hunt it all and so when BB asked me to teach something in the hunting field I, I tried to kind of come up with something that was a little bit different um, there was a DNR officer who was teaching kind of hunting 101 and she went over more regulations and um, some safety things and so I did kind of a what to wear, what to pack, and how to cook it. So oh, yeah. I literally emptied out my hunting closet. And as I came to realize, I have a very significant problem um, in hoarding hunting clothes. <laughs> um, but my thought was that what opportunity do we have in really trying on different brands and seeing the fit before you, before you go spend $100 on a jacket, you know, some brand that you can't try on in the store, um, what are some things to look for? So we talked about that. And then we talked about, and we talked about it for various things in terms of maybe you would wear this bird hunting versus um, deer hunting in the, in August, because we start in August here in South Carolina or December. Um, and then we do the same thing with kind of packs. What, what do I take in my backpack um, or my doves, you know, my dove belt or my turkey vest. And then we cooked up some back strap, which was very good. Mm. It was a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. We're all going to go home hungry after this, I think. Uh, best way. Well, I, uh, every year I have committed to learning something new that, uh, that I can pass on. Again, it's really hard for me to draw a line between work and it has just become a lifestyle. This year, I wanted to focus on doves. So dove hunting was new to me. I did a lot of research and kind of what I've been looking at is I've been on three dove hunts now, all of them very different. One was on private land, one on public land. And then I held a dove hunting, um, a hunt for ladies this last weekend. So that's kind of how I spent my weekend. Very similar uh, to where I taught a hunting 101 class. We followed that with shooting some trap and skeet so some shotgun basics um i'm one of our shotgun instructors here at the range so we did that the ladies always have a ton of fun with that and then we were supposed to go on a dove hunt sunday but we had storms and so that had to cancel i will say one of the most interesting things i've learned about hunting doves is that they um 
they're quick learners, I guess, you know, so you have to kind of hunt them, but then give them time before you hunt again, you know, so they get spooked pretty easily. So our hunters here in Arkansas have really had a hard time with doves this year. Uh, and then the second reason, and we mentioned it earlier, is we think because of that freeze that we had the last year, that a ton of our dove population just didn't thrive, didn't make it. Um, but that's kind of what I've been looking at this year is focusing on dove hunting. I think I will do a ton more of it. I think it's one of the best introductory kind of sports um, for new hunters. Other than that, you know, it's, it, it's bow season. So this will be my first weekend. I'm going to take my bow out and actually get to go hunt for myself. So I'm looking forward to, uh, getting a good one this weekend and getting some food to the kids so they can quit trying to kill each other for the last pizza. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's funny. Well, I, I have been aiming for some hunting boots somehow over the last year and a half or so I've liquidated all of my hiking. Anything that would be suitable for hunting is just like worn out. So I was struggling to find something that was wide enough for my feet and that would fit me well and that was also waterproof. And I landed on actually a men's boot. I decided I would just size down a little bit. And so I, sorry, I'm just a second. Lori, I don't know how I don't know how you raised three kids and did all of your achievements. Don't worry. I don't know how I did it either, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And my advice is uh, to keep going. I will tell you, Ashley, I personally love the sound of children in the Zoom calls in like the new day and age. When someone, when I hear someone tell their babies like, shh, in a polite way, I always tell them like, just listen to them, you know, just soak it up because it goes oh. so fast. So I actually love the sound of your baby in the background. Oh, well, that's, that's sweet. I appreciate that. And luckily she wasn't screaming at least during this episode. <laughs> um, but anyway, I ended up going with a pair of men's Danner brand boots. So Danner? Yeah, I, I know that they're really high quality and they were kind of spendy, but I was like, you know what? I keep hunting boots for years. So I'm just going to go with this. And I, I ordered them. And I really liked them. I'm a nine and a half in women's. And so I ordered a seven and a half in men's and they were just a little bit too small. Um, so I'm getting an eight and a half in the hopes that they will fit. And also I can fit a pair of warm socks under them during late season. So Do you think those would make a good herping boot? Cause I'm on the market for a new herping boot. Yeah, I mean, they're full leather, waterproof. They're like a little bit above the ankle. So um, I haven't taken them out of the house. So I can't tell you how they perform in the field. But um, stay tuned because I'll definitely share share the news. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Lori, thank you so much. It was It was wonderful to hear about your experiences and all the things that you've done. Really great. Well, I appreciate you both. I actually really enjoyed the conversation. And so I, I'm, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to talk to y'all and keep, what did, what did, what did we say earlier? Keep spreading the good news. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Spread Absolutely. the good news.
Uh, well, thanks for joining us on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week. And until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. <laughs>